The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Happy birthday to the Duke of Edinburgh, 99 years old today. Prince Philip was born on the Isle of Corfu on June 10th, 1921, in the line of succession to both the Greek and Danish thrones. When he was one year old, his uncle, King Constantine, was forced to abdicate. His father was arrested by the new military government and his family fled, uh, spiriting away the little prince with them in a wooden fruit box. It has been a lively life in the almost one century since. The photograph taken for the Duke's 99th birthday just a couple of days ago, uh, self-quarantined with the Queen in the quadrangle of Windsor Castle, shows a dapper older gentleman standing dignified and erect in a household division tie and a Grenadier Guards boating jacket, as they call it, Uh, the latter a gift from Lieutenant Colonel Sir Eric Penn, one of almost all his contemporaries that His Royal Highness has outlived. If you're not interested in royalty, did you know Bob Dylan put the Duke of Edinburgh in a song? That Prince Philip at the home of the blues Said he'd give me information if his name wasn't used He wanted money and fruit, he said he'd been abused By dignity Abused by dignity uh-huh. I wish Prince Philip many happy returns because as soon as he is no longer with us, the mob will be demanding his name be removed from every single building, street and park that bears it. June the 10th, 2020, the great bonfire of our civilization continues. Fire! In Richmond, Virginia, the statue of Christopher Columbus in Bird Park was toppled from its pedestal, set alight, and thrown in the lake to the delirious cheers of protesters. Let's fucking go! In Boston, another statue of Columbus was beheaded. Uh, Don't worry, these are, quote, mostly peaceful protests. It's only when they move from beheading statues to beheading people that they become not quite so mostly peaceful. Columbus, of course, is the famous explorer who discovered Derek Chauvin and hired him for the Minneapolis Police Department. In response to a tweet from the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics that racism was a, quote, critical public health issue, Greg Glassman tweeted, it's Floyd-19, an allusion to COVID-19, which, as you probably don't recall, was yesterday's critical public health issue. Mr. Glassman is the founder of CrossFit, the fitness regimen that in just 20 years has become the largest chain of gyms on the planet. But that joke has cost him his company. Greg Glassman is out as chief executive and is instantly retired. I don't want to add to his woes, 
Uh, but Mr. Glassman, at uh, one point, was also a fan of mine. So how he was ever permitted to run any business entity is something we probably need a congressional investigation into. Fire. At one point, Wendy Mesley was the queen of female anchors at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And as such, she dutifully towed the CBC line when Justin Trudeau's multiple blackface videos surfaced. Uh, Wendy travelled to Quebec to explain that the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, being the only G7 head of government, the only G20 head of government to caper around in kiwi polish with a banana in his crotch, had to be seen in the context of Quebec's unique culture and difficulties with English Canada going back half a millennium. I'm standing in old Montreal, the old port overlooking Place Jacques-Cartier, named after the French explorer who landed here back in 1535. Back then, it was Iroquois territory, but then came the French settlers and they stayed. And it's that history that makes Quebec so different, the culture, the politics, They've been here for almost 500 years in the sea of English speakers. So there's always been a big debate here about how to preserve Quebec's culture. And now Trudeau's blackface scandal is making that debate even hotter. Nice try, but it availed her naught. Unlike the head of CrossFit, uh, she did not make a public tweet. Instead, at a production meeting, a private meeting to plan this week's show, Wendy Mesley read out a quote from a journalist they were thinking of booking for a panel discussion on race. The quote contained a word, a problematic word. But Ms Mesley read the full quote from the guy. She subsequently issued an abject apology for reading an accurate quotation from her potential interviewee in a private meeting, but it wasn't enough. She's now been suspended. She's off the air, while the third-rate mammy singer, whose racism she did her best to whitewash, sails on. Fire. Adam Rappaport was the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit, the glossy Condé Nast magazine dedicated to gourmet food. 16 years ago, he went to a party in brownface, so we're told. Well, I looked at the picture, and unlike, say, Justin Trudeau, there's no vat of kiwi polish on his face. You can't actually tell he's wearing any kind of facial makeup. But he's culturally appropriating some sort of Puerto Rican affect, just like his upscale mag culturally appropriates fancy schmancy recipes from around the world. His research director, a quote, queer person of colour, and other subordinates went bananas, although not in the Justin Trudeau sense, and Adam Rappaport is toast, and not in the avocado toast for Sunday brunch at uh, 14.95 cents. Uh, five years ago, George Floyd was a petty career criminal with a long rap sheet, including pointing a gun at the belly of a pregnant woman. But he turned his life around. No such redemption is possible for a 16-year-old photograph of a fancy dress costume. That's a life that can never be turned around. Fire. Peter Weinberg didn't make a joke. He didn't read out a quote in a private meeting. He didn't have a 16-year-old photo resurface on Twitter. But he's now living under police protection because his bicycling outfit is similar to another man's bicycling outfit, and that second man had been captured on Twitter tearing pro-George Floyd flyers out of the hands of children as they attempted to post them on a fence adjoining a Maryland bike path. Away from me. Hey, leave her alone. 
Do not touch her. Do not touch her. She has nothing. Do not touch her, sir. Leave her alone. Hey, get off of her. Fuck you. Just get out of here. So the Attorney General of Maryland asked the Twitter mob for help. Twitter went to town, used Google image search and located an ancient selfie by Peter Weinberg that they identified as the perp. In fact, the perpetrator was a fellow called Anthony Brennan, Anthony Brennan III, to be precise. But by then, Mr Weinberg had been damned as a, quote, ugly racist bitch who deserved to be fired immediately. Uh, He uses an app to record his bicycle rides. And to his surprise, the company that makes the app released the footage of his June the 2nd bicycle ride, which confirmed to both the Maryland police and the Twitter mob that he was indeed the guy who'd ripped away the George Floyd flyers from those little girls. In fact, the police were being more than usually incompetent uh, because Mr Weinberg had gone bicycling on June the 2nd and the attack took place the day before. But who cares? The mob doxed him. And poor Peter Weinberg was so naive he didn't even know what that word means. If you don't, it means the Twitter mob posted his street address online. Uh, the tweets damning him as an ugly racist bitch who beats up little girls went viral. The subsequent clarifications by the Attorney General and the police did not. There were now coppers outside his home in case uh, one of those tweeters decides to act on one of those viral threats, unaware that they are no longer operative. Fire. William Gladstone was a great Liberal Prime Minister of the United Kingdom for four separate periods between 1868 and 1894, the only man to be PM four times. As I said, a Liberal PM. He supported Home Rule for Ireland, the right to strike, the extension of the franchise to agricultural labourers, but who cares? The University of Liverpool has announced that it will rename Gladstone Hall, not because of anything the man for whom it's named did, but because of Mr Gladstone's father. Sir John Gladstone was a big plantation owner in Jamaica until the abolition of slavery, and the sins of the father must be visited upon the blameless son. If you're as woke as woke can get, but your great-grandfather made a disparaging remark about an unconvincing tranny, be very afraid. Gordon Klein is a professor of accounting at the University of California in Los Angeles. Professor Klein received an email from, quote, non-black allies of black students asking that the black students, in effect, have their final exams cancelled and they be given an automatic pass because they've been so traumatised by recent events in Minneapolis. The professor replied that because all the classes are now being taught online, he had no idea which students were black and which weren't. And he went on to wonder what he should do about students who might be biracial and if they should be given half credit. And he concluded by quoting Martin Luther King and wondering if the requested preferential treatment didn't fall afoul of Dr. King's urging that people not be judged on the colour of their skin. Uh, So for quoting Martin Luther King, he's been excoriated as a racist and has now been suspended for three weeks. He also has policemen outside his home.
just in case. Fire. After more than three decades on air, the show Cops has been cancelled by Paramount because of its triggering name. HBO has pulled Gone with the Wind from its schedule until they can CGI Clark Gable and Vivian Lee into taking a knee. It's just over a decade since Little Britain was regarded as a landmark, cutting-edge sketch comedy show full of bawdy, vulgar jokes about the comedy of life in a diverse nation with gays, welfare scammers, cross-dressers, chavs and all the rich tapestry of a changing Britain, including a recurring character, a large black lady played by one of the two white stars in a large black rubber suit with pendulous breasts and... Um, luxuriant uh, body hair as she wanders nude around a health spa wrestling with her man's similarly corpulent white ex. How they laughed just a few years ago. But Little Britain has now been kicked off Netflix, kicked off the BBC iPlayer, kicked off the streaming service Britbox. A 2020 reboot has also been cancelled. It's gone, it's history. Because, quote, times have changed and bewilderingly fast. The two stars of Little Britain are both lefties. One's a self-described pansexual, and the other's a practising homosexual, as we used to say, and with all the practising, he's rather good at it. The mining village of Clandui Brefi lies this charming little pub. With its original slate roof and delightful period features, it truly is a joy to behold. <laughs> you have another Bacardi and Coke, please, my Come Come in right here. Bloody hell, Mavanui, I'm so down. Oh, why is that, David? Don't you know I'm the only gay in this village? Oh, I just dream of the day I can meet other gays who know what it's like to be a gay. <laughs> he was the only gay in the village, but now the village has driven him out and, like Christopher Columbus, set him on fire and thrown him in the lake. It's all got to go. Whether it's the statue of King Edward VII at Queen's Park in Toronto or once hip pansexual comedy shows. Fire. Who are you gonna call? Cops busted, following pictures on social media of police in riot gear packed into municipal buses. The San Francisco Municipal Transit Authority has announced it will no longer permit its buses and trains to transport police to riots. So if you want to police a riot, you'll have to get into your car and try to find a parking space near the burning Columbus statue. Oh, and you'll have to change in the street, presumably, as it's hard to fit into the car seat when you're in the full Robocop. Meanwhile, the media seem to be at pains to assure us that defund the police does not in fact mean defunding the police. It's like when the... 24-hour dry cleaners uh, say your suit will be back a week on Thursday because 24-hour dry cleaners is just the name of the store. Defund the police is just the name of the slogan. It's like that other misunderstood word, jihad. A lot of people think jihad something to do with waddling uh, with a suicide belt into a crowd of infidels and yelling, Allahu Akbar! But in fact, it means a personal, spiritual struggle or a low-fat blueberry muffin or whatever. Uh, likewise, the media are at pains to assure us that defund and dismantle the police also mean low-fat blueberry muffin, or in this case, uh, fewer chocolate-frosted donuts, which America's donut shops are saying they will no longer supply to police. In a certain sense, 
The media are right here. These campaigns, like previous campaigns against other bastions of masculinity, like the military and the Boy Scouts, are intended not to abolish the institutions, but to remake them and bend them uh, to the progressive will. And uh, because uh, conservative ink in America is largely useless and mostly craven, they are likely to succeed in that object. Want to take a chance in this new environment? Seven Sigma Inc. doesn't. Its employees were there as its business was destroyed and looted, and the fire truck across the street just sat and watched in compliance with municipal orders to stand down. So Seven Sigma Inc. is fleeing Minneapolis and taking its 50 jobs elsewhere. With America descending into tribalism, who wants to be white? What's the fun in being made to take a knee in the street or wash the feet of Black Lives Matter leaders, as in North Carolina? Spending what's left of your life in abject groveling. It's not just black and white out there. There are other tribes, and not all of them are willing to go meekly into that long, dark night. Here's some Hispanic guys in Chicago confronted by Black Lives Matter and Antifa coming for their neighborhood. We protect this hood. It's the nigga. I had a whole group of motherfuckers out here trying to loot. They were just parts right here. We fucking said, no, get the fuck out of our fucking neighborhood. We will not fucking let our neighborhood fucking burn. Fuck that shit. Our motherfucking neighborhood, motherfuckers. Fuck y'all. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. Get the F out, we won't let our neighborhood burn. The Shona and the Matabele, there are no Americans now, just tribes. Meanwhile, summer has come to Manhattan, and that means the heady scent of urine everywhere you go. Now that thousands of public health experts have assured us that the pandemic of white supremacy is far worse than the pandemic of COVID-19, and the best way to cure white supremacy is to get out in the street and engage in socially distant looting, Everyone's out there. Unfortunately, all the public toilets are closed, so now the whole of Midtown is like that hotel room in Prague the morning after the incontinent hookers have left. Can COVID-19 linger in urine? Well, let's wait until we get this week's definitive pronouncement from the WHO if anybody still cares. Can't get enough of America's undocumented anchorman? SteinOnline.com is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Catch new episodes of The Mark Stein Show. Sit back and experience features like Stein's Song of the Week and Mark Stein's Tales for Our Time. Get the most of Stein Online by joining the Mark Stein Club, a global community of people just like you. The show never stops for members of the Mark Stein Club. Head on over to SteinOnline.com club for details. The Mark Stein Club presents... The Hundred Years Ago Show. A pasha assassinated, a locked room murder, and a nightingale on the air. It's June 1920. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the ructions of post-war Europe continue. In the space of 48 hours, the governments of Poland, Italy, Hungary and Austria have resigned. Meanwhile, in France... (laughs) 
Pasha, the nominal ruler of Albania, has been assassinated in Paris, where he had been living since attending the Versailles Peace Conference. He was shot twice as he was leaving the Hotel Continental by a man waiting behind a pillar, subsequently identified as Avni Rustimi, leader of the League of Albanian Youth. In America, the Republican Convention has closed at the Chicago Coliseum with the nomination of the party's candidate for president. At the end of balloting on the first day, Major General Leonard Wood, former military governor of Cuba and governor general of the Philippines, was in the lead, closely followed by Governor Loudon of Illinois and Senator Johnson of California. However, things went very differently on the second day when the Ohio senator who started the day in sixth place, gradually worked his way up the rankings to take the prize. Warren G. Harding will be the nominee this November. Senator Harding told reporters, well, you know how a fella feels that holds a pair of eights and has to stay in and draws full. On the subject of card games, J.B. Elwell, the author of several best-selling books on bridge, and a man who played a critical role in the promotion of Auction Bridge has been found murdered at his home on West 17th Street in New York City. To the bewilderment of authorities, Mr. Elwell was killed by a single gunshot wound to the head, and yet at the time of his death, the house was locked from the inside with no sign of forced entry. Be it ever so humble. There's no place like home to get murdered. The unmistakable voice of the Australian Nightingale Dame Nellie Melba, the Daily Mail, came together with Signor Marconi to bring the famous soprano into your home, be it ever so humble, live from the Marconi factory in Chelmsford, Essex, in what is the first wireless transmission by a world-renowned musical artiste. The concert was heard not just throughout the British Isles, but as far from Essex as Berlin and Stockholm. Aside from Home Sweet Home, Dame Nelly sang Nymphs and Fawns and an aria from Labo M. Leaving his own home sweet home and heading to Dame Nelly's native land is Lord Forster, the former junior Lord of the Treasury in Mr Balfour's ministry and financial secretary to the War Office under Mr Asquith and Mr Lloyd George, has been appointed the next Governor-General of Australia. In a first for His Britannic Majesty's Viceroys, the Colonial Secretary Lord Milner consulted with the Australian Prime Minister Billy Hughes before settling on Lord Forster as the Crown's representative down under. 
Max Weber, the celebrated German philosopher, has died of the Spanish flu in Munich at the age of 56. Aside from his scholarly writings, Herr Weber was also a key advisor to the committee that drafted the constitution of the new Weimar Republic. There is a land, you understand, where everybody has a good time. They live their lives just so, with a hundred wives or so. Polygamy is not considered a crime. They've got a Raja ruler of the place. He couldn't live without a pretty face. He puts them at their ease. He isn't hard to please. Says I am easy, Siamese. Siam's Field Marshal Chakrabongsi Bhuvanath, the Prince of Bishnulok, has died of pneumonia in Singapore. He was 37. The younger brother of King Rama VI, Prince Chakrabongsi, was heir presumptive to the throne. He was also Chief of Staff of the Royal Siamese Army and the man who introduced aviation to Siam as Commander of the Royal Aeronautical Service. And that's the way of the world, June 1920. A hundred years from today, a hundred years from today. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. Mike, a first-week founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Kentucky, uh, writes with reference to a topic I discussed on Rush yesterday. The Secretary of the Army and the Secretary of Defence have announced plans to change the names of famous bases that bear the names of Confederate generals, bases such as Fort Bragg and Fort Hood. Mike says... If they must now rename military bases named after Confederates, then how does an institution called the Democratic Party, which was the entirety of the Confederacy, slavery, Jim Crow, segregation and more, get to remain? How is the word Democrat not as irredeemable as some of these statues or the names of military bases? Before the next statue falls or places change its name, the Democrats should be forced to rename their party while they are on this rampage. That is undeniable. For a century and a half, the Democrat Party was the most powerful racist institution in the world, and actually the most racist. When the National Party was elected in South Africa in 1948 on the apartheid platform, everything they introduced... The Democrats in America had been doing for decades, in fairness to the National Party, after F.W. de Klerk did his deal with Nelson Mandela, the party did change its name to the new National Party in, uh, I think, 1997, before eventually going belly up 
in 2005. By contrast, the Democrat Party was still installing a Q Klux Klan leader as president of the Senate and third in line to the Oval Office as late as this century. I'm talking about the old Grand Kleagle himself, the execrable Robert C. Byrd, whom every single thing in West Virginia is still named after, and the Dems have no plans to change that. Next door in uh, non-West Virginia, a blackface governor rules on behalf of the pro-slavery party. Why are all these people out on the streets uh, triggered by ancient statues commemorating some guy who died in the 19th century, not triggered by a political party whose very name, as Mike said, uh, was the last word in slavery, the Confederacy, Jim Crow, segregation and racial discrimination for 150 years. Jefferson Davis is so triggering. His presence has to be erased from the landscape. Well, what party did he serve? What party did Alexander Stevens, uh, the Confederate vice president, serve? The man who stood, quote, upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and normal condition. After the Civil War, after the Civil War, Stevens was a Democrat congressman and a Democrat governor of Georgia, because if that's what you thought about Negroes, the Democrats is where you went. Because it's all very well standing upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man and that slavery, uh, subordination to the superior races, is natural and normal condition. It's all very well believing that, but it doesn't matter unless you've got an institution uh, that can deliver the political muscle to enforce it. If there can be no redemption for an unfortunate tweet from 2007, how can there be redemption for the most powerful pro-slavery institution on the planet for a half century, the most powerful pro-segregation institution on the planet for the century after that, the most powerful pro-bigotry institution on the planet? In this very election cycle, Joe Biden accidentally forgot himself and started boasting about how good he was at making deals with segregationist senators in his own party when he first came to Washington. If black lives matter, how come one of only two political parties in this country commemorates the institution that enslaved them? Well, we all know the answer, don't we? Columbus gets torn down, Robert E. Lee gets torn down, but the Democrats get a pass because they always do. The internal contradictions of contemporary Dems, as manifested by Governor Northam, a woke mammy singer, are being resolved. In the interests of maintaining their own power, 19th and 20th century Democrats were racist against blacks. Now, increasingly openly, they're racist against whites for the exact same reason. And now, Stein Online presents... Mark Stein's Song of the Week. Beijing seems determined to kill Hong Kong and reduce it to the state of the rest of China. So I was thinking of a song for Hong Kong, and this is one I've loved since I first heard it as a child. And I've never forgotten the first lines of the lyric because they are unlike anything else in popular song. Here's the composer himself singing it in a very famous film. 
starring Humphrey Bogart and Lauren McCall. It's a story of a very unfortunate colored man who got rested down in old Hong Kong. He got 20 years privilege taken away from him when he kicked old Buddha's gong. And now he's bobbing the piano just to raise the price of a ticket to the land of the free. He say his home's in Frisco where they send the rice, but it's really in Tennessee. It's the story of a very unfortunate coloured man who got rested down in old Hong Kong. He got 20 years privilege taken away from him when he kicked old Buddha's gong. So it's about the two biggest global news stories of the moment, not just Hong Kong, but an African-American in trouble with the law. As I said, I've never forgotten those lines since first I heard them. Uh, Even though, as a child, I had no idea that kicking old Buddha's gong was a reference to drugs, uh, specifically to being in an opium den. That's Hoagie Carmichael singing and playing the piano in the 1944 film To Have and Have Not. And by that point, the song was maybe 15 years old. He'd written it at the turn of the 1920s, uh, the beginning of the 30s, and he first recorded it at the end of the 1930s. It's the story of a very unfortunate fellow man who got rested down in old Hong Kong. He got 20 year privilege taken away from him when he kicked old Buddha's bone. And now he's bobbing up piano just to raise the price of a ticket to the land of the free. Well, he say his home's in Frisco where they ship the rice, but it's really in Tennessee. That's why he said, I need someone to love me. Need somebody to carry me home to San Francisco and bury my body there. Hoagie Carmichael collaborated with some very fine lyric writers, Mitchell Parrish on Stardust, Johnny Mercer on Lazy Bones, Frank Lesser on Two Sleepy People. So who wrote the lyric to his tune for Hong Kong Blues? Answer, he did. Once in a while, when he had an idea for a song and no lyricist to hand, he just uh, wrote the words himself. Hoagie was a protean singer-songwriter and a terrific character actor, as you'll know if you've seen him on screen. So although he didn't have the polish on the page of an Ira Gershwin or a Lawrence Hart or a Cole Porter, he had a great sense of a song as sung which is why he could construct as unlikely a scenario as possible, a black American from Tennessee getting busted for smoking opium in Hong Kong and put it over. In a sense, it's a novelty song, but uh, musically, aside from the cod orientalisms, it's just shy of a two-octave range and somewhat unpredictable in its intervals, so it's not something for a singer to undertake lightly if you're in a piano bar and the guy asks you to come up on stage and what do you fancy singing? Hoagie waited a decade to record it, and then the 1938 record went nowhere, 
And it was only the 1944 film with Bogey and Bacall that finally found the song an audience. Oh, I need someone to lend me a $50 bill and then I leave Hong Kong far behind me for happiness once again. Won't someone believe I've yen to see that bay again? But when I tried to leave, sweet local man won't let me fly away. That's a slightly cleaned up lyric. Old Loco Man, as originally written, was sweet opium that won't let him fly away. Uh, But it made the song a hit. Hoagie got to number six on the Billboard chart and hard on his heels was the Tommy Dorsey band at number eight on the hit parade with vocal refrain by Skeets Herford. I need someone to love me Need somebody to carry me home to San Francisco And bury my body there Tommy Dorsey and the band sound great there, but Skeets Herford's vocal sounds like a guy doing a bad Hoagie Carmichael impression that his heart's not quite in. The song seems so tailored to Hoagie's idiosyncratic delivery that it's very hard for any other pop vocalist, uh, your Dick Hameses or your Paddy Pages, to pull it off. So the song languished for another decade and a half, and then Jerry Lee Lewis tried rockin' and rollin' it. Well, he's the story about a very unfortunate colored man who got arrested down in old Hong Kong. And then Spanky and our gang tried, well, I'm not sure what uh, genre you'd call this, but it's got a bit of local colour. Very unfortunate Memphis man Who got arrested down in old Hong Kong He got 20 years privilege taken away from him When he kicked old Buddha's gone The very first version of Hong Kong blues I ever played on the radio as a young disc jockey was from an album of Hoagie Carmichael songs made by Georgie Fame and Annie Ross in 1981. I need someone to love me. I need somebody to carry me home to San Francisco. I'm burying my body there. 
Chris even managed to get Hoagie Carmichael himself to do a little turn on that album. It was released just a few months before he died. But the best thing about it was the title. Hoagie is short for Hoagland. Hoagland Carmichael. And Annie Ross and Georgie Fame called their album Hoagland because this catalogue of songs is so particular... Uh, It could almost be from a magical land called Hoagland. It's not Broadway, it's not Hollywood, it's not Tin Pan Alley. Songs like Upper Lazy River, Baltimore Oriole, Memphis in June, even Stardust have a very particular quality. Hoagie Carmichael is up there with the very best, with Harold Arlen and Jerome Kern and Cole Porter, but there's something a bit raw about him. Perhaps that's why he appeals to the rock crowd, Or perhaps it's just the psychedelic 60s and the return of drugs to pop culture uh, that made him cooler than Irving Berlin. Here's an actual Beatle, George Harrison, kicking the gong around. And notice that unlike Spanky and Annie Ross and Georgie Fame, George Harrison doesn't bowdlerize the lyric into the story of a very unfortunate Memphis man but retains the very unfortunate coloured man, which notwithstanding today's sensitivities, is a much more memorable line. It's a story of a very unfortunate coloured man Got a racing down in no harm He got 20 years privilege taken away from him When he kicked old Buddha's gun Now he's popping the piano just to raise the I need someone to love me I need somebody to carry me home To San Francisco And bury my body there I need someone to lend me Fifty dollar bill man I leave home Nice try. But that orchestration, if uh, one can call it that, is so crass. Maybe it would have helped if he'd had uh, Ravi Shankar's sitter in there. As I said, tons of the rock guys like it. Tom Waits, Bob Dylan. But none of them, it seems, can find an angle on it that has anything to add to what the author said eight decades ago. So not quite a standard, but still in all, the most memorable song about a most memorable jurisdiction now suffering at the hands of the evil Chinese Politburo, its own version of the Hong Kong blues. Words, music and peerless performance by Hoagie Carmichael. No, sir, Mr. Morgan. I have not seen him all evening. Where's Frenchy? That's the story of a very unfortunate colored man who got rested down in old Hong Kong. He got 20 years privilege taken away from him when he kicked old Buddha's gong.
Hoagie with a bit of bogey in the dialogue scene. That'll do it for today's show. Do check out our Song of the Week in essay form right here at Stein Online every Sunday evening. I will see you with Tucker Carlson on the telly at 8 p.m. North American Eastern Time tonight, Wednesday. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.